Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I am honored to be opening the Word of God with you. And I just have to say, it's been like a weird weekend and a weird morning. And I feel like um, I feel like I had the honor of just like inviting you guys into something deeply spiritual happening this weekend. And it may just be me, but actually, if that's the case, it fits my message. So that's okay. But just God's been doing stuff. And I, I, I don't know, I was at this wedding yesterday, and it was beautiful and deep and just like, I don't know, five hours of just talking about Jesus with people that I, you know, I don't know, it just, it was, it was deep and beautiful and God's been working this morning. So I'm excited for what God has for us. And so much of that comes um, obviously from the passage that we're going to open up this morning. So we're going to be in Mark chapter four. If you'd like to open your Bible there, I'll put it on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But um, this whole, this whole passage, this whole section, we've been watching Jesus as he just goes through uh, the Gospels, and he's walking um, around the world at that time, and um, these things are happening. Jesus is doing things. He's proclaiming his kingdom. He's um, inviting people to see and respond to the good news. He's um, casting out demons, and he's healing people. All these things are happening. People are seeing what Jesus is doing, but everyone is responding in a different way uh, to it. So they're, they're seeing, experiencing the same event, but there's this very different responses. So I, I, when I was thinking this week about what's that like, I was picturing... Um, um, over Thanksgiving, my family, we're going to go down to Disneyland, and we, we've been there when the girls were little. We used to go a lot because we lived down there, and, um, and I was thinking of the phrase, like something that people experience very differently. The phrase, the parade is over, uh, means a lot of things to a lot of people, I think, when you're at Disneyland. So if you're one of the performers in the parade, the parade is over, it's like, good, you know, I can, you know, take a smoke break or whatever they do, right? Um, if you're one of the janitors, the parade is over means I better grab my stuff because I'm just about to get busy with all these slobs and everything they left behind them on the street side, you know? Um, if you are a kid, the parade is over is really like, that's the worst news, you know? It's like, oh, I love this parade. I guess I'm a girl dad, so for our girls, they love the parades. Um, if you're a dad, the parade is over is like, finally, let's go get on some rides again, you know? We got to get in those lines now before everyone else gets there. And so, it's the same event, it's the same phrase, it's the same thing, but we experience it in these just vastly different ways depending on where we're coming from and what our context is. And that's exactly, I think, what we see happening with Jesus. He's doing the same things. He's proclaiming his kingdom and, and he's offering life and all these things are happening. Um, but we're seeing there's some people that are profoundly thankful. There's other people that are um, just so turned off by what he's doing, and there's people that are actively opposing him in it. And we're going to see what Jesus does now is he stops and tells the parable, the parable of the sower. It's our first parable that we get from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and he basically tells this to explain what it is that's happening. So let's just dive straight in. Um, verse 1, I'm going to start setting the context here. So it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. So we'll pause right there. The setting is, people are continuing to follow Jesus around, and they're seeing um, who he is, and what he's doing, and what he's teaching, and um, they just keep being interested. They want to see what is it that Jesus is going to do. So the crowds are there, and it gets to a point where, like, Jesus is feeling crowded in upon. Like, when he's in a house teaching, they can't fit there. So he's in these open spaces, and here he's by the sea. And it gets so much that they, uh, he just takes a boat and goes out into the sea a little bit. And, uh, and he's there using the bolt, boat like a pulpit. And I picture kind of a cove or something with everyone sitting around. And Jesus is teaching them in these parables. Mark has um, told us about Jesus teaching a few times. This is the first time we get any, any length of, any bit of depth in the 
recording of what that teaching looked like. So I'm going to read to you the parable. Jesus, uh, just so you know where we're going, he's going to give the parable. Then he's going to explain some things about parables in general. And then he's going to explain this parable in particular. So as I read this, just picture yourself at the scene. Okay, Jesus is in a boat. We're sitting on the shore. And we're just listening to Jesus give this um, picture, uh, this, this kind of sermon in pictorial form. So at the end of verse 2, in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. So here, here we pause, and Jesus told this parable, and it kind of seems like Jesus would have left it at that, okay? He just tells this story, kind of enigmatic, and it seems like Jesus would have left it, but thankfully people began asking him questions, so he's like, okay, I can unpack this for you, so we'll get there. But initially, um, what we see is there's a story that Jesus tells, and the story looks like um, there is a sower, okay, the, a person that's going to scatter seed. So there's one sower. The sower in, in all four of these scenarios is, um, is the same. The seed is the same in each of the scenarios. But what's different from time to time is the soil. Some of it is um, hard, path-like soil. Some of it is um, firm, rocky soil. Others of it has thorns and thistles everywhere. And then there's also this good soil. So we're just seeing this picture where he's like, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There is um, a sower. The same sower is going out, throwing the same seed everywhere. And it's falling different places with different results. Another thing to notice is in the results, they're kind of incremental. So the first one, like nothing happens. The birds come and takes it away. The second one, it kind of grows a little bit. The third one, it grows maybe a lot, but gets choked out. And um, in each of these three, right, it's incrementally getting better, but none of them is good. None of them is what you want because if you're a farmer throwing seeds, what you want is the harvest, the grain to grow up, and you want to be able to harvest that. And so none of them is useful to the farmer at all. Except for the last one, in which case the, uh, it grows and there's this produce from the whole thing. So this is our first parable that we get from Jesus. And so orientation to what's happening with a parable is he tells a story. And the story functions <clears throat> in three different ways. It functions as a picture, it functions as a mirror, and it functions as a window. So in the fact that it's a picture, it tells us something about God's kingdom, right? It's painting a picture for us and saying, this is what God's kingdom is like. So it's a picture that we look that tells us something about the kingdom of God, and in doing that, we can learn from it. So we learn something about the kingdom of God from him telling this and painting this picture for us. The other thing, though, that a, that a parable does is it's not just a picture that tells us something about the kingdom. It's also a mirror that shows us something about ourselves, okay? So it tells us something, but it also shows us something about ourselves. We see ourselves reflected in it. So it's a picture we can learn from it, but also it's a mirror and we can be challenged by it. And so we begin to see ourselves in the parable and we begin to wonder, okay, what, what kind of soil am I in this whole uh, narrative and grand scheme? And so we get invited into, uh, into the story and we see ourselves. But then also a parable functions as a window, okay? So as a picture, it tells us about the kingdom. As a mirror, it shows us about ourselves. But as a window, it becomes this lens that we look through to see the world around us, okay? So it's a, a lens that helps us see the world around us in a better light. 
um, as a picture, we learn from it, as a mirror, we're challenged by it, um, as a window we, th- through this lens, um, we begin to be able to pursue the mission of God through it, okay? So we see, okay, this is God telling us this is how the world actually works, and so if I'm going to join God in doing what he's doing in the world, I can use this, uh, this parable to see the world in a different light and then to take action in the world. So these parables are beautiful, and they're simple, but they, they have so much there that invites us into a deeper kind of an experience and an interaction with it. So Jesus uh, says all this, uh, leaves it there, and then he gets enigmatic about it. Okay, so verse 9, he ends it by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's inviting us to ponder it and to come in deeper and kind of acknowledging not everyone's going to be on the same page here. But then it unfolds more. I'm going to read the next few verses here. Verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So Jesus is telling this parable, and it's basically, it's a teaching of Jesus about the teaching of Jesus, right? Or it's like a parable about the parables. And he's trying to say, look, these work a little bit differently um, so that you get invited into a thing. And he's basically saying these parables both reveal things and they conceal things, makes things known, and it keeps things hidden, which... um, you know, to us, it's like, boy, that is extremely frustrating, Jesus. Like, I, I, I wish, if, like, if it was me, I would be like, okay, yes, I am telling these parables because um, I want you to be able to understand, and these are cute little ways to help you understand better, right? It's an object lesson to get us all understanding more. But Jesus is, is mysterious and complex and honestly sometimes frustrating. And Jesus is saying, like, yeah, I'm telling you these stories so that it can be illuminated for you and help you understand or so that it can be hidden from you when you won't understand. You're like, come on, Jesus, that's so frustrating and enigmatic. But, it, but we know what it's like to have something said, and depending on your relationship to that something, uh, like you either understand it, you get it, or you don't get it, you know? So Jesus throws it out there. So on a, a, a silly example would be um, if someone came up here on stage and started speaking in Mandarin, most of us would be like, um, okay, I have no idea. I heard what that person said, but I have no idea what that meant, right? Except for the couple of people in here that speak Mandarin. You'd be like, all right, that made perfect sense to me. It connected with me. Um, on, a, on a deeper level, even things in English, right, in our, in our home language um, can have that effect of like some see it and some don't. So a silly example, again, is uh, when I was a kid, my, my parents would love, my dad especially would love these far side comics. And the Far Side comics, if you're if you're not familiar, I, like they're obviously very prevalent, but um, it's like not an amazing work of art, right? It's a very simple drawing, and there's this like picture there. And then the thing is, like as a kid, you're like, okay, this isn't a good drawing, and there's no joke. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not like telling a joke. It's like a little bit of dialogue or a little like explanatory sentence. And as a kid, I would always look at these and I'd be like, I don't get it. Like what I don't I don't understand what this is about. Um, and so it's it's like you know Jesus saying. Um, he who has ears, let him hear. I, I picture Gary Larson just like, all right, like if you get this, then you're going to get it. And if you don't, then you don't. Um, now, as an adult, I've grown up and matured significantly, I'd like to report to you. And, um, and my sense of humor has, you know, uh, developed and matured. And it's like now I think they're the funniest thing ever. But it, I didn't have the resources as a kid to like appreciate and understand what these comics were doing. I think 
that that's really what's happening with the parables. Jesus is telling these things, and he's like, there's a, there's a person out there that when I say this, they're just going to get it. They're going to be like, yes, like I, I knew that's what the kingdom was like. I knew that's what God was like. I knew that's what he was inviting me into. And there's others that are like, eh, I, you know, I don't get it, or I don't know, or it makes me upset, or whatever. And so he's kind of saying, it's both things. Like, I'm going to tell you this, and, and, and your response is going to kind of show your relationship to the truth at that given point. Now, one of the things for me with this that, that I think is potentially troublesome when he's saying, I'm saying it like this so that some people would see and not perceive, and so that others will hear and not understand, like, that seems really troublesome to me, problematic to me. But it's not Jesus looking at, okay, there's the in crowd, and <clears throat> I'm saying all this so that the in crowd can be really in, and we can get all these inside jokes and all this like theological jargon, and we really understand each other well, <clears throat> and anybody that's outside of the church like can just deal with it. Like Jesus isn't doing that. What he's doing in this context is he's speaking to the Jewish nation, okay? It's the nation of Israel, and he's speaking to them, and so everybody that he's speaking to assumes that they're already part of what God is doing in the world. It's a crowd that's all the in crowd. So he's saying this in a church service, basically. Like, hey, we're all the ones. We get it. We're in. We're part of this. But Jesus is saying, actually, though, I'm going to tell you that the kingdom is actually like um, seed being thrown around, and there's four kinds of different soil all in close proximity to receive the seed, but only some of these are going to grow up into anything that's useful. And so he's actually speaking to people that assume they're in and saying, yeah, some of you are. But others of you, there's something happening in the way you're hearing that this isn't taking root. It's not coming alive, and it becomes this challenge to people that assume, I'm good. I've got it all together. I, ha I am where I need to be. Um, and so, and we're seeing that happen, right? Jesus is performing miracles. He's healing people. He's teaching things. And some people are responding beautifully, and other people are getting very upset. And Jesus is like, this is why that's happening in my ministry. The parable, uh, the parable and all parables give us an invitation to understanding. It's, a, it's an invitation to see uh, on a more deeper level, like, okay, how am I going to interact with this whole thing? It works through indirection. So I'm going to use an um, unnecessarily difficult uh, illustration here because I want to, all right? That's the only reason. I have a, I have a huge man crush on Soren Kierkegaard. He was a um, Danish philosopher in the 1800s. And one of the things I love about him is his, his works are difficult to understand. I like the challenge of that. And he would write almost everything he wrote under a pseudonym. So he, he had these, like, made-up names. And he would release on the same day sometimes two books, two different books under different pseudonyms, as though two authors happened to write something on the same day and publish it. And for him, even leading up to it, he was such a nerd and a weird dude that he would, he would be, like, out in public the, the, the months prior, like, always at the theater, always out in the streets talking to people because he didn't want people to see or to think like, well, we haven't seen Kierkegaard in a while, but he did this. He wanted to be like, wow, he's been out with us. It couldn't be him. But he would write these things, and these books would have different um, perspectives in them, kind of differing, and they, would, they wouldn't like agree with each other all the way. And he explains the reason he did this is truth, he says, works best by indirection. So you can make a direct statement, you should believe this, or you can, you can do these different things that kind of juxtapose, and, and there's tension between them. Because you're trying to get people not just to hear and say, okay, I agree with that now, but you're trying to get people to wrestle for themselves. And you're trying to get them to decide, what's my relationship to this thing? How do I feel about it? And so for him, it was a book from this perspective, a book from that perspective, and it's meant to be, um, I'm going to wrestle and think, okay, what do I actually think about this? What, what does this mean for me? What's this calling me specifically to? 
Now, he spent a lot of work and wrote a lot of pages, and that's uh, Jesus' uh, approach is obviously way better, right? He tells a story, but it's an indirect story that forces us to pick a relationship to the truth that he's saying. And so it's intentionally hiding the truth from some. It's eventually re- revealing things. And I think for, for Jesus and the kingdom, ultimately, what it looks like is there's this invitation for us um, to begin to like hear the words of Jesus differently, to like learn how to read and hear what it is that he's saying. Um, An example I think of for this is uh, my girls are now 12 and 14, and years ago I started teaching them how to boogie board. So we would, we we used to live in Southern California, now we're here, we stand in the freezing cold waves and we're not, um, nobody's got money to buy wetsuits for growing kids, you know? So we just, we go out there in the freezing cold, um, and they, but they love it, but at first, It was like they're just these like little gals and they're tiny little boogie boards and they're out there and they have no idea like which waves to take or how to do it or where to stand. So I would literally just get them out in the waves and I would stand there and I would, um, when the right wave came, I'd just start like yanking on their boogie boards and just get them into the waves so they could do it, right? Eventually they're like, hey dad, how about this one? Not, Not that one, but the one behind it, you know? And it's like, okay, let's try it. And they basically taught them how to like read the waves and see, okay, that one will be a good one. That, that one you can ride. And now it's to the point where I just sit up on the shore and read Kierkegaard and they, uh, they're out there in the waves and they can read them and they catch them and, and sometimes they give me a little thumbs up when they catch a good waves and most of the time they are ignoring me completely and they're just reading it and loving it. I think that's the idea that Jesus is, is giving us here is um, there's these truths about the kingdom and you're not tuned in. You're not, you're, you don't know what's happening with the kingdom of God, but I'm going to help you to see and learn to appreciate, oh, that is the kingdom of God. That's, that is actually the work of God in my life and I wasn't attuned to it. It was, it was always there. It was always around me, but I didn't know how to read it and understand and respond to it. And so there's this invitation for us in the parables to jump in and appreciate and see ourselves in that light. It's a beautiful thing. The parables are, are incredible, and they're just this endless source of reflection for us. Okay, so now Jesus gets enigmatic. Then Jesus explains the parable, and I'll just tell you as a preacher, I honestly can't vouch 100% for the theological accuracy of all my sermons, but when Jesus is like, this is what that means, you guys are in a safe, safe place, okay? We're good. Jesus is telling us what it means, and we're set. I, I do I do great. You guys seem concerned. I do great, okay? My interpretations are, are very well researched, and, um, and you should definitely trust me. But this is even safer ground, okay? All right. Um, verse 14. Jesus begins to under, uh, explain. The sower sows the word. Okay? We'll pause there. So the seed that he's throwing out there is the word of God, okay? So it's the, it's the gospel. It's the good news about who Jesus is. It's um, the words that God speaks to us. So the word is getting sown out there. And Jesus, I think, is, is kind of putting himself in the position of the sower. He's the one, and what he's throwing out there is the truth about God, the good news about who God is, um, the words that he speaks. This is the seed that's being sown. So verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay, so the first is the pathy soil, the soil along the path, okay? And you just picture it being like hardened down from everybody walking over it and everything else. So it's hard ground. And basically, I think this represents uninterested people because the seed is thrown out there. It, it, it hits the ground. It's there. It's doing everything that the seed needs to do. But there's no reception in the ground for it. It just sits on top. And then the, in the parable, he says the birds come and pick it up. And what he says here is he kind of frames it in terms of um, the enemy, in terms of Satan. We've seen Satan a little bit, and he's kind of 
the enemy of Jesus. He's, um, he's kind of the king of the demons, so to speak. And so his, his job seems to be, in the Gospels, to oppose what it is that Jesus is doing. He's taking people and he's binding people. He's making life difficult for people. He's harming people. Um, and so we've seen Jesus step in and he's like, last week we saw, he's, he's the strong man and Jesus is saying, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to bind him up and I'm going to set people free. I'm going to plunder that strong man's house. So there's this picture of Jesus is coming against him and setting people free. Here, this is an interesting glimpse at the work of Satan. So what is, what is if, if there's an enemy to Jesus that's out there, what is it that he's trying to do in the world? And we might think he's trying to, um, uh, you know, destroy us. Certainly that's true. Make life difficult for us, of course. Um, we might think he's trying to get us to, like, you know, sacrifice goats and all the, like, you know, rock and roll versions of what Satan is doing. But here this is so interesting the way Jesus says it. It seems like here Jesus is saying what Satan is busy doing, what the enemy is busy trying to do, is to get us to not pay attention to the words of Jesus. Like, I think it's as simple as that. Jesus sows the seed, and Satan's the one that comes along. Let's, let's get this seed out of here before it sinks down into that person. Which means, as we go about living our lives, right, Jesus is saying things to us. There's words written in Scripture. There's invitations for us to, like, hear and understand what Jesus is saying. But there's actually an enemy that's out there trying to be like, please don't think about this very much, right? Please, like, get caught up in everything else and don't listen to what it is that Jesus is saying. It's such a simple, small thing, but the implications are profound. Um, he wins when we don't listen deeply. So I think there's a call if we want to fight against Team Satan, right, and be on Team Jesus. It's like, okay, if that's what he's trying to do, and then I'm going to think about this so hard. I'm going to let it sink in. I'm, like, if that's all he's trying to do is keep me distracted and uninterested, I'm going to go deeper. So the pathy soil is the kind of person that is uninterested, that, that, that um, doesn't resonate when things are said about who Jesus is. And I think there's a hostile version of this. So there's the, like, the Pharisees that are like, we hate what Jesus is doing and we're going to oppose him. Um, I think there's also a more apathetic version of this. I think a lot of the Roman people at the time don't seem to be interested in what Jesus is saying. They don't seem to care one way or the other. So that's the soil along the path. Now, there's, the next soil is um, the rocky soil. So in verse 16, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So here's the rocky soil, and I think this is like the tourists, right? They're there, and they're interested. They're there, and they appreciate what's going on. They're like, this is really cool. But there's no investment, right? There's no lingering. There's nothing. It's just like, I'm just here to see it. I'm like, I think this is cool, and I'm interested, but then I'm gone, okay? So they see Jesus. They think he's a good idea, right? Like, oh, these teachings are great. This would be good for us. They, I like your command to love each other. Like, that's great. Um, but there's basically nothing that they would give up in order to have him, right? There's no investment or sacrifice or anything else. It, it's like the books that I order. I have a, I don't mind telling you guys I have a problem with ordering too many books. And um, it's like the book that I'm like, okay, that, I need to read that. That's great. And then I buy it and I put it next to my reading chair. And, um, you know, a couple weeks go by, another book gets put on top of it. It's like I have good intentions and I am interested in that book. But, like, I literally would not uh, give up watching a basketball game or having a conversation or, you know, doing yard work to make sure that I finish that book. Like, that's kind of how that goes. And then they, those books just pile up. But I put it on my shelf so it makes it look like I'm a good reader, okay? 
I'm told that this is what gym memberships are like, okay? So some of you are suckers enough to like buy the gym membership because you're like, this is a good idea. This makes sense. But then literally you're like, I, how can I get off the couch right now and go? Like, how can I not sleep for an extra hour in the morning? And so there's nothing. It's a good idea. You like the idea of being in shape, going to the gym, um, but you're not willing to give up your convenience even um, for the sake of doing it. So I just want you to know, solidarity, that's that's me. I don't even mess around with the stuff. Um, my body is what my body is. This is the this is the default uh, position that it wants to be in. So, <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, I think this with this soil it goes, and as soon as anything hard comes, right? It's like, oh great, Jesus is made. But as soon as anything is hard, as soon as he asks anything of us, as soon as anyone gives us a hard time about it, as soon as it becomes inconvenient, it's like, okay, actually though, that's not really uh, what I was in this for. And so Jesus is calling us, uh, don't be this rocky soil. Don't be a tourist with your faith. There's something deeper. There's something better. So the next soil is the thorny soil. Remember, these are getting progressively a little bit more rooted, a little bit better. Uh, verse 18, others are the, uh, the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, or sorry, unfruitful. So here's this picture of um, Jesus saying, oh, look, that, that goes, and it's, it's great, right? The soil is conducive to growth, so it's like growing, but there's so many other things in the soil that it doesn't leave room for this thing to flourish, okay? So this is getting better um, in many ways, but he's saying there's problems here. So what are the other uh, thorns, thistles that are growing up? He says there's three things. It's the cares of the world. He says it's the deceitfulness of riches. Um, and he says it's desires for other things. These all three things can all come and keep this from growing very well. So I'm going to take uh, the, the idea of the deceitfulness of riches. I think it's really easy to just throw a quick punch at the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for wealth. And so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. If you want to be rich, if you're greedy, if you want these things, that kills your spiritual life. Jesus just rails against that all the time. In Mark 10, we're going to get a really great picture of the uh, the rich young ruler, this man that, that is wealthy and is unwilling to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. So we'll get into all that stuff. But I'll just say, like, that so many people have wanted Jesus on a certain level, but they, they want the stuff more, you know? And that pursuit just overwhelms everything else and makes it really hard to be uh, pursuing wealth and following Jesus. The other two things he mentions, I feel like I have a little bit more compassion for. So the cares of this world and the desires for other things, he lists. Both of those things are bad versions of, right? Caring about the things of the world, like uh, your image or, I don't know, you're going after um, ungodly pleasures and things like that. Like, so don't do that. But I feel like you, those are pretty broad categories. Cares of this world. What, what kinds of things in your life make you anxious? What kind of things wake you weigh you down? What kinds of things keep you busy and your mind uh, spinning all the time? Maybe a lot of it's bad stuff. But also it's probably things like your kids and how are they turning out? What do I do with school? Like, where should I live uh, next year? Do I, should I change my job? A lot of these things are good things um, that, that the cares, like, come in, and it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the right things. I'm concerned about these things. But, but what Jesus is saying is, like, I think even when those things are framed in a positive way, um, there comes a point where, man, the, that seed of, of the word of God is, is growing in your life, and it's, it's going to do some good things, but you're so stressed, you're so focused on everything else um, that you're like this distracted person and it really can't grow in the way that it should because everything else is keeping all that mental space, all that, that soul capacity is being um, minimized and crushed because of everything that you're caring about. If you think of, uh, 
we, we've got this little fireproof safe that like we put our documents in that I'm certain are digitized and that's fine now so it's probably worthless and I doubt that that little safe would survive a fire anyways if it happened but we have it and so you can just pick like the most important documents and you put it in that little safe right so picture the things that you care the most about get rid of all the fluff get rid of all the extra stuff who cares the books that you're never going to read don't put those in there but the things that you're like this stuff matters right and carry it that's great right and carry it keep it safe man if there's a fire if there's a uh, you know keep it with you so that you keep that stuff safe just the things that are the most important but even then just imagine yourself you're on a boat and your boat goes down and you've got uh that thing you hold on to it keep it safe those things matter but if it comes to a point where it's like i'm either going to let this thing sink or i'm going to sink um let that thing go. I think that's what Jesus is inviting us to. Even the things that matter, even the things that we would protect more than anything else, like if it comes down to it, and it's a matter of your soul is going to survive or, or you're going to keep this stuff safe, let it go because, man, your spiritual life is what actually matters. Your faith, your connection to Christ, like that is the expansion in your soul that you need and that I think Jesus invites us to. So even the good things, even the things um, that are positive, be willing to let it go because here's the picture of the seed goes, the, the soil is okay, it grows, but there's so much there that it can't really flourish. Now, uh, the good news, the positive. He gives us the good soil, and this looks like the true disciple of Jesus, the true family member of Jesus, and he describes it very simply as this, verse 20, uh, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So here's the good soil. These are the ones that hear the word of God and they accept it and they bear fruit. They do what it says. The, the last passage we looked at last week, it ended with Jesus' family coming and they think he's gone crazy and so they're trying to get him out of there and Jesus is like, look, that, they're, they're not acting like my family. My true family are those that hear the word of God and do it, right? So here he is saying, that's what this good soil is. It's, it's the kind of person that is, is, um, is ready to take, accept what it is that God says, and to say, that is what I want to fill my mind. That's what I want to expand my soul. That's what I want to get down into my heart. And I want to see this, like, nutrient-rich soil, a heart that cultivates good news, good news and cultivates truth and cultivates, like, the beauty of who God is and what his kingdom is. Like, that's the kind of heart that we want to have. Now, I wanna, I'm going to, like, riff just for a second here, but I, as I picture, like, what makes good soil good soil, um, if you think about it, it's the, the best soil, the good soil, the soil that you want is soil that is filled with all kinds of, like, death and decaying matter and things like that. It's weird that, like, my dad has a little vineyard, and it's weird every year he, like, is so excited for this neighbor that does horses, horse stuff, like, can I borrow some of that manure so I can spread it in my grapes, right? The, it's the death and the decay that, that actually makes the soil nutrient-rich. And everything, every plant that's ever grown in that soil and then died and decays in there, every bug that's lived in there and then dies and decays in there, that makes the soil richer and better and more conducive to, to, to pr producing life. Um, and I think in our church family, right, I think of Many of us that have had easy lives and things that have gone pretty well, I've had a pretty easy life overall, I would say. Um, <clears throat> all those good things are enjoyable, right? But they don't necessarily produce depth in us. But those of you that I know that, man, you've, you've lost people that you care about deeply. Um, you've gone through really hard things. You've been attacked by people. You've been um, uh, just going through these struggles and these things that, that aren't inherently good, but you go through them and it's like the weight of that. I think the weight of those hardships can either 
be things that compact the soil, and they make us hard-hearted, and they make us jaded, and makes us angry at everybody else, and we're like, I am upset that this happened to me. Or, there's many of you, where those hard things, those bad things, the things that are just objectively not good things that have happened to you, they become like this decay that sinks down in and, and actually softens who you are, right? And it, and it kind of uh, puts nutrients into the soil of your being, and you become actually a fuller person, a better person, a softer, more gentle person, a more receptive kind of a person. And when I think the seed of the Word of God comes down into that kind of a heart, a heart that's soft, a heart that has been taught beautiful lessons about who God is, even through the hard things that happen, I think that's the kind of heart that's open, that's more contemplative, um, that's more obedient, that's more receptive to what God has to say. And so I, I, I think that the point here is we want to be... Um, the good kind of a soil, right? And I think the hard thing there is saying, how do we become that kind of a soil? W one thing I just want to say as we, as we wrap this whole thing up is to kind of just zoom out from the whole parable and say, like, what, what is Jesus actually saying here? One, one thing he actually is not saying, he's not telling us, make sure that you change the kind of soil that you are. Jesus isn't saying that here. He's actually just saying, look, this is why some people are into me and why other people are rejecting me is because we all hear the same thing, but we're different kinds of soil. I think Jesus is just explaining it. But the, the bigger picture of, um, of the book, Gospel of Mark is he actually is inviting us to be a good kind of soil. Like he's inviting us to have a certain kind of relationship to Jesus, to be receptive so that when the word of Jesus comes in, we respond to it and we hear it and we let that grow in us. So I think the overall invitation in Mark is be the good soil, right? And I think a lot of that's just praying like, Lord, soften my heart. Take, take everything you've invested in me and make it into something good. Um, but also, I think there's an invitation for us to say, okay, Lord, anything that needs to be addressed, anything that needs to be fixed, anything that needs to be softened inside of me, would you do that for me, please? I, I think what's beautiful about this is you look, and Jesus is framing it in a way, he says, this is what my kingdom is like. And he's, he describes himself as someone that's going out into this world, and he's throwing seeds all around, right? And I love that Jesus is not coming to the people to have it all together, He's not coming to everything that's just going perfectly fine, but he's going to all these different types of soil, and the seed goes everywhere. He's like, look, eh, my seed is all over the place, even in the patches that look like um, they're not going to do anything with it. Often with soil, like you can't tell the difference between the good and bad soil until you see, oh, stuff's growing in that soil. That's good soil. Or, or this soil, nothing's growing there. That's bad soil. So he's just out there throwing the seed. And man, there's so many of us in our lives, whether it's our own selves that we look at, and we're like, I'm going through a dry spell I'm feeling really distant from God. I'm feeling like he's far away from me right now. Um, or we look at kids or friends or spouses or parents and we're like, there's no spiritual life there and I don't know what to do about that. It breaks our heart. The beautiful comfort in all this is Jesus is out there and Jesus is sowing these seeds and he's throwing them. And wherever our kids are, wherever our parents are, wherever our spouses are, he's throwing those seeds and we don't know. God's working even when it looks like he's not working. I watched this um, documentary this week on the, uh, the James Webb telescope that we just sent out and all these incredible images like far, far, far out into the universe. Incredible. And part of it is they were talking about when they first put the Hubble telescope up there, it was not good at all compared to the James Webb, but it was the incredible for the time. And they, as an experiment, after they got all their pictures of all the planets and these galaxies and stuff, they're like, what would happen if we just pointed at this dark patch, you know? There's, there's the galaxy, and it's like there's a whole little neighborhood where it's like nothing's going on here. Let's point the telescope there, get a picture, and see what we can see. 
And in doing that, they found there is so much more there in that dark patch where it looks like nothing's happening than we could ever imagine, right? Just even in the spot where it's like so dark. And I just, you know, the, the spiritual analogy for me as a preacher is just like, you know what? If we could see the way that God sees, if we could see what's really there beyond just what we think, is even those darkest places, God is so active. And I think in the, the most spiritually dry places inside of us and uh, the ones that we love, God is often just there scattering these seeds and he's at work and he's, he's drawing people in and he's the one that tills the soil and tends it and everything else. And so um, the thing I want to leave you with is I, I do think that there is the kind of person here this morning that um, you feel like you've been wrestling with God, you feel distant from God, you feel like you've tried but nothing's really working. And I think you'd like to be the good soil, but you're like, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be working out. And, and I want to just point this out about the parable overall. Uh, the seed is the word. The seed is the gospel. The seed is the same in every single one, okay? So he's not saying uh, that there is a, uh, there's certain beliefs that get put in. There's an intellectual acceptance of the faith that gets put into some people. And when they can believe with certainty intellectual things, then man, there's a harvest from that. You know what I'm saying? If I just picture somebody like taking the Westminster Confession of Faith and they're planting that in the ground. It's like, boy, there's going to be a lot of good fruit from that. Um, I'm pro-Westminster Confession. I love it. I think it's very profound and insightful. But I don't think he's saying that's what causes the growth or that's what makes the difference is us believing the right theology. What he's saying is the truth goes in. It's the same truth. It's the same word of God. It's the same gospel that goes in. And when it goes in, all that matters is what is that heart going to do with the truth? Is it going to ponder it? Is it going to cultivate it? Is it going to nourish that truth? Because if it does, man, so much is going to grow up. It's not about the certainty or the precision of what goes in. It's the um, response of the heart to what it hears. And I, I feel like there's good news and bad news in that. I think there's bad news in that um, I think there's people in this room here, and I think I've been this person, where you are doctrinally certain of everything. You have like theological assurance and you know what you believe and you're sure of it. Um, you're rigid doctrinally and everything, you, you know, but like it's not rooting down into your heart. Your heart is not doing anything with that knowledge uh, that, that's there. And so you actually might be the bad soil, even if you're the smartest person in this room, even if you're the most theologically astute person in this room, you could be the bad soil. And I think Jesus invites you to say, hey, let's soften up that heart and let this truth begin to uh, produce fruit. On the other side, the good news is, I think there's people in this room, in our church family, that are uh, wrestling, and they're like not sure what they believe. I'm not certain about where I stand with Jesus. I'm not sure what I think about this or that, and, but, but you're the kind of person that ponders. You're the kind of soft soul that's like, I, I need to think about it more. I need, to, I need to kind of pray about it more. I need to process more, and I think in doing that, by virtue of like the wrestling that you're doing, you're actually showing that you're the good soil. And I think eventually that, that truth sinks down and it takes root and it, it explores. I don't think the goal is certainty here. I think the goal is responding to what God is saying, to what Jesus is doing. And so I think the invitation I have to leave you with is simply this. Mark lays all this out, the entire gospel, so, so that we could say, hey, here's Jesus. Here's who he is. And how are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do with him? Are you going to be the good kind of soil that's like, yes, there's something compelling about Jesus. Um, there's plenty of things that are uncompelling about Christians, plenty of things that are uncompelling about the church, um, plenty of things that are uncompelling about the way that we think and, and process and our hypocrisy and all these things. But what do we do with Jesus? Is he, is he the seed that's going to go and is your heart the soil that's like, yes, I resonate with him, I connect with him, 
I'm going to see what that grows and what that does. Just that, that last phrase in the last verse 20, he says, that those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold, just think of everything that's represented in that little phrase, man. One, one life in this entire room that bears 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit, just imagine the, the, the grace and the love and the profound spiritual power that comes from that. And if we were a whole church of good soil and just seeing that harvest, I, it's an exciting thought.